0: Uh, let me ask you this: We're going to be in Mark chapter nine this morning. Have you ever wrestled with doubts? Um, has your faith ever been tested? I mean, significantly tested, put through the fires of a difficult situation or season of life. And I'm going to go ahead and answer that for you. Yes, you have wrestled with some doubts. Um, you have struggled with your faith that sometimes. As someone once said, uh, "Yes." I have doubts. After all, I practice a faith, not a certainty. We practice a faith, not a certainty. And this morning, we're going to work through a text that lets us see that not only is it okay to struggle with doubt sometimes, doubt is actually part of a vibrant, dynamic, growing faith. It all began when Jesus took three of his disciples, his closest three, Peter, James, and John. Uh, they climbed to the top of a high mountain. And when they got there, they got a view like. No other. And we're not talking about the beautiful, fertile valley below and the hills around them and the Mediterranean there and the Gallic. No, we're talking about the view they got of Jesus was like none other in Mark chapter 9. It was stunning. Before their very eyes, these same eyes that in the previous chapter had had great difficulty seeing Jesus. They had been sort of spiritually blind to his identity. Now they behold Jesus at a whole nother level. He radiates light. He is transfigured. He is transformed before them. His glory in its fullness is revealed. They are stunned at what they see. Jesus radiating before them on top of this mountain. They can't take his eyes off him. And then the great prophet Elijah... Appears On the other side of Jesus, Moses, the lawgiver and liberator of Israel from centuries past, appears. And these three, I mean, this is the Mount Rushmore of the Bible. (laughs) Moses, Elijah, Jesus, they're having a conversation. We don't know what they're talking about, but they're having this conversation. And Peter, James, and John are blown away. They are awestruck. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. Peter kind of decided, hey, let's build some shrines here, you know, to celebrate this moment. And Mark records for us verse 6. Peter, he said this because he didn't really know what else to say. They were all terrified. That's in verse 6. And sometimes it's just better to keep your mouth shut. Amen? Peter could have kept his mouth shut there. And then this cloud appears overhead, and the voice of God cuts through that cloud and says in verses 7 and 8, This is my dearly beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone. And Jesus only Jesus was with them. That's a message in multimedia message, right? In the words, in the visual, now it's only Jesus standing before them. He is the one. You think Moses and Elijah are the Mount Rushmore of faith. Jesus is greater. You think you need to pay attention to the Tanakh, to the Torah, to the Old Testament scripture, to the law that was given to Moses. That's nothing. This is my son. This is my flesh and blood. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. What an amazing moment to be a part of. And then they come down the mountain. And it is quickly Back to reality. There is a, a large crowd waiting down below for them to return. And right in the middle of that crowd, there is an argument, a fierce argument happening, happening between the disciples, the nine that had been left behind, and religious scholars that had come up from Jerusalem. They are having quite a brawl. At the center of their argument is a father and his son, Right? The argument has to do with them. The father interrupts all of this before they can even figure out exactly what's happening. He throws himself at the feet of Jesus and he begins to beg Jesus to help his son. Help my son. The son was possessed by a demon. For years he had lived this tortured existence inhabited by a force hell-bent on destroying him. Mark lets us know the demon would would throw him into fires, a campfire, an oven, try to to get him to destroy himself in fire or try to get the boy to destroy himself by throwing himself into water, into a lake, into a river to drown himself. It was a horrible, horrible reality that the son lived in, that the father lived in. And when this demon saw Jesus, obviously there's going to be a reaction. This is the son of God after all. And so he throws the boy at that moment into this violent seizure. The crowd, as this demonic presence manifests in front of him, the crowd pulls back in fear. Jesus, of course, he's not pulling back. Totally calm. I love it. He just turns to the Father and he says, so how long has this been going on? The Father says, "This, this has been going on for years. And you can hear... The heartbreak in that father's reply. I mean, this is his boy. This is his flesh and blood, his son. And he wants more than anything else for his child to be set free. For his child to experience a restoration of his health. And I admire, by the way, I admire this dad. I can't tell you how much I admire this dad, because you know, this has been going on for years, you know, I mean, here he is looking for an answer in front of Jesus. You know this guy has been looking for answers all over the place. Answers that the doctors have not been able to give him one after the next. Answers that spiritual leaders have not been able to give him Request after request to these. Therapy, I don't know what, ever, I'm sure he tried everything to find healing for his son. And now he's in front of Jesus, but the, the thing I admire is he hasn't quit. Well, we love our kids, we don't quit on our kids. And so, regardless of all these failures, of all these these attempts to find solutions that that resulted in nothing, that just fell to the ground. Here he is again. He will not quit. He will help his son. And so this is what he says to Jesus. Jesus, help us if you can. Jesus replied, if, if I can't look, Jesus said, the problem is not here, right? The problem is not with me and my lack of power. This is, a, this is a question of belief. This is what we're dealing with. It's an issue of faith. So Jesus says to the Father, do you believe? And you got to love the answer. Yes and no is the answer. Do I believe? Yes and And no, I love that honesty. And that, folks, is not a lack of faith. That is an honest faith. It's what that is. A faith forged in the fires of unanswered prayers. A faith forged in the fires of waiting. A faith forged in the fires of disappointments. Verses 23 to 24. Jesus says, what do you mean if I can Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out. I love that. It's just spontaneous. It's just, it's just automatic. He instantly cried out. I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. I believe and I don't believe. I have faith and I have doubts. I struggle here. Now back to that argument that, that we came upon earlier As They come down from the mountain The, the disciples, the, the religious scholars from Jerusalem are, ha- are having this fight, you know And it is a fight about the boy and his son Principally, here's what was happening The disciples had been trying to cast the demon out And they had been unable to cast the demons out And the religious scholars are essentially saying See, there is no power here This ministry is not a ministry of God. This is a fraud. And this argument ensues about the credibility of the ministry of the disciples. And then Jesus steps in and commands that that demon leave for good. And his words pierce the air like a gunshot. The boy lurched. I imagine the father who had prayed for years that he might see his son delivered. Once again, seeing the boy lurch and writhe and hearing the demonic voice issue from his son's lips, I imagine the father turning away, maybe holding his ears. He's seen this before, but this one's different because suddenly there is a calm. A complete calm. The boy looks up to Jesus. Jesus reaches down, takes his hand, raises him up, sends him over to his father. And in this chapter, I think we see what burdens the Lord. Yes, he's burdened by this scene, by the torment of a child. What burdens him, though, at the center of this story is unbelief. And we're not talking about the unbelief of the father. We're talking about other people and their unbelief in this story. And we're going to kind of walk through that this morning. But we see in verse 19, Jesus talking to the crowd and his own disciples. He says, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Why can't you believe? Why can't you accept my reality? And so there is in the story this kind of continuum of faith, or rather faith, and unbelief and things in between. And first, let's start by talking about the unbelief of the theologians, the unbelief of those who have come from Jerusalem up there to investigate the ministry of Jesus. Unbelief. The theologians were cynics, this is important here, who had pre-decided that they would not believe in Jesus. I mean, they have seen Jesus do all manner of miracle and all kind of powerful teaching and they will not believe there's nothing Jesus can do there's nothing Jesus can say they have chosen unbelief they have chosen cynicism Verse 14 and 19, the teachers of the law are arguing with the disciples. Jesus says to them, You faithless people, how long must I put up with you? How long do I have to hang out here with you guys? The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is unbelief. Unbelief. And that's what we see here from these religious scholars. They were closed to God. They had decided in advance that they would not put their faith in Jesus. Now, Jesus still loved them. You can almost feel his heart break here. How long? How long? He loves them. He knows he's going to go to the cross, not just for people that loved him and worshiped him, but for sinners, for unbelievers, for the broken, for the lost. It hurts to see their unbelief. He's come to save them, he's come to be their redeemer, he's come for the lost sheep of Israel. Now, don't confuse these theologians with being doubters, right? Doubters are normally truth seekers. It's someone who has honest questions that they wrestle with about Jesus, about God, about the Bible. Most of us who are believers are also to some extent doubters, To one degree or another or we have been or we've passed through seasons of struggle and doubt. And by the way, when like in James chapter 1, when the New Testament condemns doubt, what it is condemning is being double-minded. It is... It is living in this constant state of vacillation between belief and unbelief. It is a self-imposed exile from the presence of God. It is living in this place hanging between hope and despair and choosing to make that place your home. So we've got unbelief. And now the pendulum kind of swings way over to the disciples. Disciples. And this would be number two on this continuum. It would be confusion. Let's just call this confusion. The disciples were confused in chapter 8. They're confused in chapter 9. They've got loads of questions. The disciples didn't know what to believe about Jesus. But this is the thing. They were afraid to openly express their doubts and questions. Right? They, wanted, they, they, they saw how Jesus rebuked Peter in chapter... They're not going to say anything. They're not going to express their doubts, their question, their confusion. They have some faith. They have some degree of belief. They also have some questions, and they have some doubts. And sadly, this is the sad thing, they try to hide it. They're embarrassed by their questions. In chapter 9, we find the disciples basically pretending to have certainty about Jesus. By the way, I've said this before, I'll say this again. Certainty is overrated. They're pretending to have certainty about Jesus, thinking that a feigned faith, a fake faith, is the same thing as the genuine article. They've got doubts. They've got questions. um, But they pretend they don't, at least in front of Jesus. Mark relates that when Jesus spoke about dying on the cross, when he spoke about that journey rising on the third day, they did not understand. And Mark says they hid it from Jesus. They hid it from Jesus. Verse 10, they, the disciples, they kept it to themselves. But they often asked each other. This is called a pooling of ignorance, right? They often asked each other, instead of the Son of God, instead of the Messiah, they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. But Mark hid it. They they kept it to themselves. Verse 32, but they, the disciples, did not understand what he, Jesus, meant. And they were what? They were afraid to ask him about it. Don't ask Jesus. Don't say anything. We need to look like we're certain. We need to look like we've got this all figured out. And it's a pattern, isn't it? We see this in the Gospel of Mark. They've got questions. They've got some doubts. They lack some understanding. They're a little bit confused. But they want to appear like they've got it all together. The facade is more important than the faith. And honestly... If you think I'm just beating up on the disciples this morning, look, I see some of myself here in the disciples. And honestly, I see some of myself in those theologians as well. I see those different degrees of faith and doubt and struggling within me. The skepticism of the theologians sometimes, the confusion of the disciples. And honestly, sometimes I find myself close to that despair of the father in the story but let's be clear about, about something in this story. If anybody in the, in the story, with the exception of Jesus, if anybody models what faith looks like, it's the boy's dad. It's the boy's dad. Number three, it's an honest faith. In the midst of his despair and doubt, the father chose, he didn't choose to, Unbelieve, he chose to trust, he chose to believe in the power of Jesus. You see, faith is not the absence of doubt, faith is the presence of belief. Would you say that with me? Faith is not the absence of doubt, it is the presence of belief and that's why the father can say quite honestly in verse 24 I do believe Jesus help me overcome my unbelief they're both at work in my heart and this is a real honest faith this father who has had The rug pulled out from under him time after time in his life. He's been thrown on the ground by the circumstances of life. The church has disappointed him. Spiritual leaders have not been able to deliver. He's been disappointed in all these places he looked for answers. He understands that even with his disappointments, even with his doubts, the right place to be is in front of Jesus. The right place to take all of this is to the Lord. He had his doubts. But it wasn't time to run away from Jesus. It was time to hold on to what little faith he had. Seems like somebody said something one time about just, just having The faith of a mustard seed. Somebody said something about that one time, didn't they? And he hangs on to this mustard seed-sized faith, and he moves toward Jesus. And whenever we move toward Jesus, we're moving toward hope, is what we're doing. The father understood that he had done everything he could for his son, and the one thing that he could not give his son was deliverance. Only Jesus could do that. And so what I want to do as we close out this morning is just talk about when in doubt. What do you do when you're in that space where you've got so many questions and there's a little bit of confusion mixed in? Why is this going on? Um, And the first thing you do, and we're going to look to this father as a model of what you do when you're believing and unbelieving at the same time. And the first thing you do is, involves permission. It involves giving God permission to be God. Let go, let God. It involves giving God his God license and getting off the throne and allowing him to do his job. Permission and honest faith gives the Lord freedom to work without having to know all that he is up to all the time. Right? That's faith. That's faith. Father didn't know how this was going to happen. He didn't know when it would happen but it didn't stop him from believing as best he could it's a reality check here right you're not god (laughs) newsflash i'm not god and if you have to know exactly what the lord is going to do and when he is going to do it if you demand that God show you his playbook, then you're not letting God be God. You're not trusting. Faith involves letting God have license to take care of the God stuff. Then when in doubt, this would be the next thing we want to move into. When you're in doubt, Choose to position yourself close to Jesus, close to the Lord. You may have doubts and questions like the father in the story, but look at where he positions himself right next to Jesus. That would be the second thing there, positioning. We talked about giving God permission. Well, this is about positioning. An honest faith in a season of struggle moves toward the Lord. That's what it does. Um, Now, if you're a part of our family here at Preston Crest, we've gotten to see this quite a bit this past year. Some people with some pretty serious stuff going on in their lives. And we've gotten to watch these people of faith move toward the Lord. We've gotten to see them position themselves in front of Jesus. I love that. Now this is A big difference between the Father and the disciples. This third thing here, it's about profession. Profession. An honest faith is open with the Lord about doubts and questions. You can, by the way, you can read pretty much all of the prophets in the Old Testament to see them. They're asking their, Why, God? Why is this? You can look to Jesus on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? Asking questions is not a lack of faith, it is not unbelief. In fact, it can be an act of faith you can be honest to God right and often Christians think it is not okay to wrestle with doubt or at least not to let anyone know that you wrestle with doubt so you just kind of pretend that you've got certainty that you've got it figured out that's not honest folks that's not honest that's not healthy that's not faithful at least the kind of faith we see modeled here a Scottish Minister back in the 1800s named Henry Drummond. Actually, the guy was born in Stirling, Scotland, the same uh, hometown where where our missionary Mitch Vick is working today. So from Stirling, Scotland, Henry Drummond back in the 1800s had some very interesting and powerful things to say about the difference between doubt and unbelief, how very different they are. Listen to what he said. He said, doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with darkness. And Drummond points out that Jesus never fails to distinguish between the two, doubt and unbelief. Now, remember what we saw earlier. Faith is not an absence of doubt. It is the presence of belief in some pretty difficult situations. And so in this story, we've we've got these doubts, and, and we've got this belief and unbelief, and it's all mixed together inside the same person. And unlike the disciples, the Father is willing to talk about it He's willing to make his statement of faith. Complete faith. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. And trust that the Lord will do something great. And finally, and this is a big one. This is a good one to finish with. When in doubt, turn to the Lord in prayer. The disciples aren't praying. In fact, that, that's what Jesus, this is the big problem here, he says. You guys are trying to do something great. You're trying to cast out this demon and you can only do that by prayer, he says in verse 29. Guess who is praying in this story? It's that father again. He's the one praying. He prays, Jesus, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That is a beautiful, honest prayer to the Lord, isn't it? So prayer and honest faith asks the Lord for help now you can try to work it all out by yourself you can try to work it all out by yourself that is an option my question to you is how's that been working out for you so far how's that been going What happens is we find ourselves And we're trying to work it all out by ourselves Trying to marshal all of our resources And get the thing fixed we end, up, we end up going Why didn't that work? Why did we fail? Why wasn't I able to achieve it? Why couldn't I make that happen? Why couldn't we cast that demon out? Or you can be honest and say Hey Jesus Help me Help me. Help me with my belief and my doubt. Help me. So right here, right now, what is it that you need to be praying about? Not when you get home, not later this week. What do you need to be praying about now before you leave this auditorium? What is it that you need to take to the Lord and say, help, help me? What is it that's on your heart? And will you come to the Father in the name of Jesus and ask for help today? Or, if you want to cry out to the Lord this morning and confess Him as your Lord and Savior, we would love to assist you with that. We would love to help you put on Jesus in baptism this morning. I mean, what a joy that would be. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you've been putting that off because of unbelief. And if you're at a place of unbelief, my prayer is that the Lord will give you a glimpse of His reality and His glory, just like He gave Peter, James, and John on top of that high mountain, that you can just get the curtain pulled back and the Spirit will show you His reality. Or maybe you're at a place of doubt this morning. I need to be baptized. I need to follow Jesus, but I've still got doubts, Gordon. I would say welcome to the club. How about taking a step of faith? How about choosing to step into belief instead of constantly choosing to step into unbelief? Calling on the name of the Lord, that's what you can do this morning, right here, right now. If you just need prayers, what we do here every week is give you a chance just to get together with somebody, put your arm around and pray. Seek prayers or offer prayers to someone you know is going through a struggle. Come down, uh, pray with me or one of our elders. However you need to respond to Jesus, he's here. Respond as we stand together in worship.